Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Well, y'all look good tonight. Are you there? Yeah, a couple of you. All right. I'll be preaching to myself tonight. This is going to be fun. Anybody ready for the election to be over? That'll get you excited, huh? I, uh, as I was thinking about both the election and our offering, I realized that they actually have something in common. And, uh, and it should be, what's in common should actually be our, our response and our perspective. And that is this, that Jesus says in Matthew 6.33 that we should seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added to us. When, it's, when Jesus says the kingdom, by the way, he's not saying the Republican kingdom or the Democratic kingdom. He's saying his kingdom. All right? And the truth is when we vote, it does not happen outside of God's kingdom, but we actually vote in alignment with his kingdom, which means this, that his ways should inform the ways that we vote. Now, I'm not going to tell you how you should vote. Instead, I'm going to ask you to get God's perspective on voting because every area of our life should be surrendered and submitted to the will of God so that we even as we vote, as we give, as we live, every facet of our life should be submitted and surrendered to the will of God so that he is the one that's informing the way that we live. Amen? And so here's my encouragement to you, that as you vote, if you haven't already, that as you vote, you ask God to lead the way. And then as you get the election results, whether that's Tuesday night or sometime next year, we don't really know, Um, But whenever those show up, that you would respond in such a way as to seek the kingdom first. If if your candidates lose or win, that you still say, you know what, I I am all about King Jesus and his ways. I am living surrendered and submitted to him, and I'm going to seek him first regardless. And let let me just throw this out there. The kingdom of God has survived Um, and actually thrive for the last 2,000 years, regardless of what happens in politics. Now, what I'm not saying is that politics don't have a place to play, but they exist underneath the the lordship of Jesus, not above. And so um, our hope is not in a candidate or a party. Our hope is in the kingdom. And as we live that way, that means that we can respond as kingdom people no matter what. means we pray for our leaders no matter who they are, no matter if we agree or disagree, if we like them or not, but that um, we also don't separate our faith from our political perspective, but our political perspective submits to our faith. Amen? And back to Matthew 6.33, that we'd seek first God in all that we do, which actually informs our generosity. And so I want to talk just for a second about giving. We live a generous life because we recognize that even in our our giving and the the resources that God has given us, that we actually seek him first, which means we give first to him so that his kingdom would continue to thrive. And then with the, the bit that we keep, we actually still seek him first with that too. 
and we say, God, would you have your way in my finances? And we're not going to worry because we're in his kingdom, meaning that, that he's actually our Lord and master. So we, we trust him to take care of us. We're not taking care of ourselves. Orphans have to take care of themselves, but God's children are actually taken care of by their father. And so it's crucial that we learn to trust him in all that we do, in our giving, and our living, and everything that we do. So there's a few ways you can give. You can give by text. Uh, the number is probably on the screen behind me. You can give in the box in the back, or you can give online at sozostmtx.com. But I want to pray for both our offering and our election, and for us as we seek God's kingdom. Amen. God, we love you. And We desire to be a people that seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. So Lord, we pray for our our nation as we head into uh, the end of this election season. And God, we ask for your kingdom to rule. God, no matter who gets elected, Lord, we ask for your way, for your best for our nation. Lord, we ask that you would move in our land that you would have your way in our land. And Lord, I pray for our finances, God, that you would move in our finances, God, and that from our generosity as a people, that all peoples on the earth would be able to be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm gonna need you all. I know it's like eight o'clock in the way that you're thinking, or, or 8.30, almost 9, but I'm going to need y'all to wake up a little bit. And y'all can talk back to me, it's all right, I won't feel interrupted. We're in the book of Esther tonight, the whole book of Esther, by the way, so go ahead and get out your copy of the scripture, or get there on your phone, or however else you want to get there. And we're going to take a look at the life of Esther, and, uh, and really use her as a template for Discovering our assignment. You see, all of us have a call from God. Tell your neighbor you got a call. God has a specific call. It's a specific purpose that goes with the identity that he's given us. And then he actually gives us everything we need to accomplish that call, right? So we've been talking for a while about what our call is. But I want want to talk to you about your assignment, which is the... um, Your assignment is you living out your call in a specific time, in a specific place, among a specific people. So it's the outworking of your call, meaning your call is is the call covering your whole life. But I want to talk about the assignment of your call. Like, what is it that God is doing in you now? And how can we learn to see the assignment that God has for us so that we can step into it and partner with him? I love what Ephesians 2.10 says. It says that we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he has prepared beforehand for us that we would walk in them. Here's what it means. You don't have to make up your own good works to do, but instead you get to partner with God so that you can step into them with him. Because more than you doing good works, God is interested in you being with him. And then he as your father who's inviting you to work with him wants to partner with you and actually give you everything you need to accomplish that. And so you don't have to make it up or cause it to happen on your own. Instead, you get to partner with him. And that's good news. 
the book of Esther happens to be one of only two of the 66 books in the Bible that does not mention God. Now, the Bible is a book about God. If I was writing an autobiography, I would want my name to be like in every chapter of the book, right? And yet somehow the writer of Esther, inspired by the Spirit of God, somehow left that out. But I'd like to suggest to us that there's actually a lesson to be learned from the fact that the name God is left out. And it's this, that God was not absent. He was just not visible in the way that you could see clearly. And I believe this, that so often we think, oh, God left me, where'd he go? But I believe that the book of Esther is actually this picture that God is always at work. Sometimes he's at work in a way that you can see him. And sometimes he's at work behind the scenes, orchestrating everything. But don't be fooled. He's always at work. He is always at work. And he's at work in your life and in your circumstances. And he is setting things up for your good and for his glory. That's what Romans 8.28 tells us. And so, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what the set of circumstances are, you can trust this, that God is present and he is working on your behalf. That's good news. Somebody should get excited about that. Okay, there we go. We're getting there. We're warming up. When I got to good old Southwest Texas State University, as it was called, the, the city on the hill there, um, I, I graduated from, from school uh, in Katy, and I came out this direction, and I, I knew that God was actually calling me to come here. I, I could sense that. I could sense his hand. There was a bunch of uh, folks from my class that I graduated with, close friends that all were coming here too. Um, and, and I sensed God calling me to move here. And as my friend group, we were talking about who's going to live with who, and I sensed that God was saying, Joel, that you're supposed to get a potluck roommate. Any of you ever had a potluck roommate? Should be like pot unluck roommate, right? And so I said, okay, God, I'll, I'll do it. I, f- I felt like he had a specific assignment for me. And so I, I move in uh, to the dorm. I was in Tower Hall. Anybody ever live in Tower? No. One. That's great. Um, anyways, so I was living in Tower Hall. And my roommate happened to be a drug dealer. And uh, somebody said, me too, I think. Somebody in here was probably the drug dealer. Um, Anyways. uh, But I I knew that's what God had had for me, and so I tried to lay down some rules, and it didn't work so well. But but what I did is I, I began to pray for him. And I prayed daily, and in fact, I invited my friends to start praying for him. And he started coming to our small group, and by October, he gave his life to Jesus. But here's what happened. He didn't come by himself. So when he gave his life to Jesus, he actually had a a group of friends that were watching his life, and they gave their lives to Jesus also. And so what we used to do is we used to go through the halls of tower and we would round up all of the guys and we would go and have a Bible study together. And God was working in their lives and it was an incredible time. We saw probably, I I, want to say 
maybe even up to a dozen guys give their lives to Jesus or rededicate their lives to Jesus in that time. It was a, such a powerful time. And I, and I realized that it really didn't take me being clever. It really didn't take me like having it all together, having uh, any sort of professional training or any of that kind of stuff. All it took was my yes. It just took me saying, God, that's what you're saying. I'm going to jump in and go in that direction. And I think what we find in the book of Esther is the same thing. Esther does not have to cause any of her story to happen. Instead, she partners with God with her yes. I believe that God is even inviting us to be a people who say yes to what he's doing. We don't have to be the most brilliant people, the most spiritually in tune people. We just say yes when God's moving and we see him move in mighty ways. So the, the, the setting for the book of Esther, we won't read in chapter one, but I'll just give you a little bit of a background. There's a couple of things going on. There's, there's Esther, and Esther is, uh, is an orphan. And her parents die, so she goes to live with her uncle Mordecai. So the book named Esther is obviously about Esther. There we go. Okay. And so Esther, what we'll find is that her call throughout the book, what she finds herself in over and over is in the role of the rescuer. Say rescuer. But here's what God tends to do. He tends to do to us what he wants to do through us in our story. So Esther gets rescued from being an orphan by her uncle Mordecai. Some of us, we don't let God do to us what he wants to do to us so he can do it through us. Instead, we like to play the role of victim and we stay stuck in our situations and our circumstances and say, God, why did you let this happen to me? This was so horrible. I can't believe that I'm stuck here. Why do I have to be in this place? Why did this thing or that thing or that thing happen? And let me say this, God is in your pain. He recognizes your pain, but what he wants to do is he wants to provide purpose for your pain. But if we stay stuck in the why me thing instead of the God come into my pain place, then if we stay stuck there, then we'll never get into the purpose part. We'll never allow God to do through us what he wanted to do to us because we didn't let him do it to us because we were so stuck staying as victims. And so we have to say, okay, God, I am hurting and I need you into this place. Let me say this, your pain matters to God. Your hardship, the abuse that you've gone through, those things matter so much to God. And he wants to enter into those places and bring his healing and restoration. And then what he wants to do is he wants to make the enemy pay recompense. And recompense is not just paying what was lost, but it's also paying the damages back. And here's my my philosophy is that, and I get accused every now and then people say, hey, Joel, you shouldn't be that, that transparent. That's probably not a good idea. I want every area of my life where the enemy has tried to attack me and where God gets victory to become a tool to tear down the the kingdom of darkness. And so we have to decide that if we're in that place where we could stay a victim, that we want to move from victimhood to being victorious so that we can allow God to get the glory in him to work through us in a way that makes it worth it. Because if I've got to suffer through it, then the enemy is going to suffer more. And that should be your philosophy too, amen?
And so we see God working that through Esther. So there's Esther, there's Uncle Mordecai, then there's King Xerxes. Say Xerxes. King Xerxes has a, a wife who is Queen Vashti. Vashti doesn't stay in the story very long. We'll get to that in just a second. And then there's a guy named Haman. Say Haman. Hey, man. There you go. You got it now. Haman's the bad guy. He's the villain of the story, okay? And so what we see is this story gets started that Xerxes has been king for a little bit, and so he decides to throw a party for all of his friends. And so he invites all of these people in to this crazy party where they drink for like days and days and days. And then, which by the way, just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean that you're supposed to do it, okay? So just because they drank for days and days and days does not endorse you. Now, oh, well, it's in the Bible. I know how people try to find loopholes sometimes. It's like, oh, no. We used to do that in school. We'd read and we'd find a bad word in one of the books, you know, that we're reading. And then we'd use that as an excuse to say it in class. The teachers never really liked that. Anyways, so just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you get to do it. Um, so Xerxes is throwing this party and, and he invites his wife, Vashti, to come dance for all these guys gathered at his party. That's not a good idea right? Like, guys, some of you are not yet married. Don't ever invite your wife to dance for your friends. That's bad. So anyways, life lesson number three for today. Anyways, so Vashti refuses to come. She doesn't show up to dance at the party. And Xerxes doesn't like it. So he gets with his advisors and says, what should I do? Well, the advisors don't like it even more because they decided that if Vashti can defy the king, then their wives could defy them, and that would be bad news. And so they say, hey, you've got to get rid of Vashti. Guys, bad idea. Don't do that. It works out for Xerxes. It will not work out for you. So now you've got a king without a queen, and a king can't be without a queen, and so he decides that he's going to throw basically a beauty pageant to find the next queen. And so he gathers, he gets all of his guys to go look for the most beautiful women and bring them in. And it's basically like an episode of The Bachelor in the Bible. That's not an endorsement of The Bachelor, by the way. So that's what's going on. That brings us into Esther. Uh, chapter 2, and we'll start in halfway through verse 15. And it says, And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the 10th month, the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Here's the first key in finding out what your assignment is. Follow the favor. God has put specific favor on your life. We see it in, in Esther's life that, that she continues to find favor. There is favor on your life. Favor does not always come 
in the form of ease. Some of us are looking for ease and we're trying to call it favor. Sometimes the favor in your life actually is met with resistance and not with ease. But if you want to figure out what you're called to discover, pay attention to the favor on your life. And I promise you this, there is favor on your life. A lot of times we miss the favor on our life because we've actually grown up with it. And so we start to pay attention to the favor on our friend's life, on our neighbor's life, on our sibling's life. And we miss the favor that's on our life because we're stuck in comparison. Comparison will keep you from your destiny. You've got to cut it out. Don't live in comparison because you are not called to be anybody else. You're called to be you. So there's no reason to compare or compete. Amen. Where do you have favor? Because I believe this, that God has already placed you in the place for the assignment that you're currently in. And so often we don't get to go to the next phase of our calling because we don't pass the test that we're in. But if we would say, okay, God, I'm in this place. Yeah, I don't like it, but I trust that you have an assignment here for me. Some of us, if we would just go ahead and say yes and obey God in that assignment, we'd get to go on to the next thing. But if you're stuck complaining about the assignment that you're in, then you're probably not busy fulfilling it, which means you're probably going to just do circles in that assignment. And you can reset the test and reset the test. So where is the favor? Where's the hand of God on your life? So Esther becomes queen. Let's move on to verse 19. It says, when the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai, that's Esther's uncle, was sitting at the king's gate. That was his job. But Esther had kept uh, secret her family background and nationality, just as Mordecai had told her to do, for she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Side note, for some people, Making a stand on every issue is right. Like they just think, no matter what, that's an issue I'm passionate about, I'm going to make a stand on it. What Esther realized is the wisdom of making a stand on the right issues at the right time. If you get on a soapbox for every issue every day, it's no longer a soapbox. It's just the ground that you're on and you're just making a bunch of noise, and people will stop listening to you. But if you choose to allow God to lead you and listen to wise counsel, counsel, you'll know when you're supposed to speak up and when you're supposed to be quiet. And there's incredible wisdom in that. My dad used to tell me this. It's a proverb. It says this, even a fool is known to be wise if he keeps his mouth shut. I was like, Dad, that's kind of mean. But it's true. And sometimes we want to be activists on every issue. And when we are, it just makes a lot of noise. Anyways, that's not where we're going tonight. So that was free. You're welcome. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh. Anybody want to be named Bigthana? We can change your name right now. Two of the king's officers 
who guarded the doorway became angry. They became angry because their names were Big Thana. Anyways, but Mordecai found out about the plot to Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impelled on the poles. All this was recorded in the book of the annals in the presence of the king. So here's what happened. Mordecai works at the gate. His niece is the queen. And when he heard about it, she was perfectly positioned to rescue the king from an assassination attempt. I believe this, that our assignment, the place that God has us, is meant to benefit those we serve. You see, a lot of times we think this way. We think my assignment is meant to benefit me, right? Like we take that to work. Oh, I've got that job. I do it for a paycheck instead of living to serve the one that's employing me. You see, when we prioritize the one that's employing us, what we find is that we increase our favor. Could it be that God specifically placed Esther in that spot so that she could save the life of a pagan king? This guy didn't know God. But God cared enough about her, enough about him to use her to save his life. But as the story unfolds, you'll find that there's incredible purpose even in that. So what we find next is that Haman, everybody say Haman. Haman discovers that Uncle Mordecai will not bow to him. Mordecai walk, works at the, at the uh, palace gate, and, and when uh, Haman walks by, everybody gets up because he's second in command, and everybody bows to him. They give him a lot of honor. Well, Mordecai only bows to God, so he's not getting up for Haman. Haman takes it personally and gets really mad, and so he decides this, that he's going to figure out how to kill Mordecai, but he realizes that he can't just get away with cold-blooded murder. So instead, he, realized, he says, you know what? Mordecai is Jewish. I am going just to have the king come up with a rule to kill all of the Jewish people. And so he comes up with this, this line that the Jewish people, they, they, they live in their own culture, even though they're among us, they don't do any good for the kingdom. They're just causing a mess. And so we should just have a day to kill them all. Genocide. We actually see that same spirit at work throughout history, specifically against Jewish people, but also in different places. And so uh, Haman's got this specific plan. He takes it to the king. The king does not know that Esther is Jewish. In fact, in Mordecai's explanation, he kind of goes around the whole idea that it's Jewish people at all. Instead, he just says, hey, would you write this law? Xerxes who had to be brilliant in some ways because his kingdom stretched from India to the Mediterranean, somehow signed into existence a law that would allow this to happen. So what happens next in the story is that Mordecai, who's at the gate, discovers this law that's passed, that on March 7th of this certain year, all of the Jewish people 
and the entire kingdom, which is basically all of the Jewish people in the world, are to be killed. The interesting thing is you have to think about it this way. Jesus was Jewish, and this was before Jesus was born. So this is another plot to take out Jesus before he ever gets here. And if something doesn't happen in the storyline, then we don't get Jesus. The reality is, is that my assignment, your assignment, may call you to take to risk your comfort and lay down your life for others. For Esther, what that looked like was this, that she was going to have to go into the king's court unsummoned. Now that probably to us doesn't seem like it would be a big deal. Like, I don't summon Lauren to come see me. And if, if she doesn't, or if I don't and she shows up, there's not consequences, all right? So if you, even if you were the queen, if you showed up in the king's court unsummoned and he did not extend his scepter to you, basically saying, come on in, then you could be killed. Esther hadn't seen the king in a long time. She didn't even know how he felt about her. And so she was pretty nervous because it could actually cause her to lose her life. Most of us are not living with stakes that high, right? Where it's like, man, if I respond to what God is calling me to do, it's probably not going to cost me my life. Some of us, it may cost us our reputation. It may cost us a few friends. It may cost us some money. It may cost us a position. But when we say yes, it could also be the transformation of lives, of nations, of generations. Your yes could shift the course of somebody else's life. Are you willing to risk your life, your comfort for the sake of others? I think a lot of us are addicted to our comfort. I just, man, if I, don't, if I don't get a full night's sleep or if I don't you know, get my three meals a day or, or if somebody doesn't like me because I said something, like we just are addicted to our comfort. And I think a lot of times our addiction to our comfort keeps us from being positioned in a place to experiencing the Holy Spirit who is the comforter. But I believe that God wants to call us into places that take great risk so that he can show up in ways that he's always wanted to. So let's go on to Esther chapter 12, or chapter 4, verse 12. It says, when Esther's words, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that, that you have come into your royal position for such a time as this. I love that Mordecai gets it. He doesn't take 
all of the pressure of the situation and put it on Esther. Some of you feel like you're carrying the weight of the world in your obedience and you need to give that up. Because what Mordecai got was, yeah, God had divinely assigned Esther for such a time as this into this spot. But his plans did not depend on Esther's yes. He was going to raise up somebody else to save the situation. Esther's destiny relied on her yes. You see, Esther probably, had she said no, she probably would have lost her life. But God would have raised somebody else up because he had incredible purposes. And a lot of times, we're seeing it the wrong way around. And we begin to take on weight that was never ours to carry. But she had to be willing to say yes. The fulfillment of my assignment may require a lifetime of faithfulness hinged to moments of risky obedience. She had to be willing to say, I'm going to risk everything for what Haman or for what Mordecai is asking me to do so that Haman's plans could be thwarted. I think a lot of us have learned to be risk averse, right? Like we've grown up in like a padded life with helicopter moms and we've been like, man, I'm not going to take a risk. But what faith often looks like is risk. Now, faith does two things. Faith lived out over the long haul is faithfulness. It means consistency. It means believing in a cause so much that you stay at it even when it's boring, even when it gets old, even when it's difficult. That lifestyle positions you in a place to respond to these moments when lives are in the balance to respond in great faith. A lot of times we want to be the heroes who save the day with these acts of great faith but we're not willing to live lives of faithfulness and so we'll never find ourselves positioned in those places. Is there an area of your life that is requiring you to choose faithfulness? Let's keep going in the story, verse 15. It says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days night or day, I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. The fulfillment of my assignment often requires the support and prayers of my community. You can't do it alone. You have to have people in it with you walking it out. And so often we get in such a hurry or we get so self-centered that when we get in difficult situations, we're not willing to say, hey, I need some help. Would you help me fulfill this assignment? But the truth is we all need people in our lives cheering us on and we need to be that for other people. The Christian life was not meant to be done alone. How can you invite others to join you in your assignment, and then how can you join other people in theirs? So as the story unfolds, she walks into the king's court. He extends his scepter. 
She goes forward. He says, what do you want? I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. She replies, I just want you to come, come to dinner. So he comes to dinner and they have a good time. And, she's, and he's, the king says, okay, what is it you really want? I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. And she says, well, why don't you come to lunch? I guess she's playing hard to get or something. She's just kind of stringing him along. And, and then he's then at, at, at lunch and Haman's actually there. She unveils the plot. Well, it turns out that because this is written into law, there is no way to undo the law. So what uh, the king does is he takes that law, he has to leave that law, and he, he writes another law that allows the Jews to defend themselves. And so on that day, March 7th, they defend themselves and they make it. They survive as a people. On top of that, Haman gets executed and Mordecai gets Haman's spot. So here you have a guy who's carrying, carrying about the king, sitting at the gate. This guy has been basically taken captive by this king, and yet he's carrying enough to serve him, saves his life, and gets promoted to second in command. And so often, God is looking to position his people in places. And some of you, you're going to work in businesses and organizations that don't have the most moral systems, whose leaders don't follow Jesus, and God wants you to be positioned there so his kingdom can come and his will can be done in that place. And we have to be willing to say yes. We have to say, okay, God, you can use me however you want. I want to follow you no matter what the cost is, and I'm willing to do it even if it costs me my life, I'm all in. I believe that God is looking for people who are all in, who are willing to say yes to whatever he does. Would you stand? I believe tonight that God is at work. Amen? And he wants to move in your life. For some of you, this is the the right time to put a stake in the ground and say, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus and you just need to put that stake in the ground and say, God, I'm, I'm all in with you. I give my life to you, Jesus. Maybe you're here and you've been You've known God, but you've wandered off and you're not following him and you need to put a stake in the ground and say, Jesus, I'm returning to you. Tonight would be a great night to do that. Our prayer team's gonna come down forward. They wanna pray with you. So we were in last service. We had had somebody's uh, shoulder and elbow get healed. And I just believe this. I believe that God is in the mood to heal tonight. And so you may have pain in your body. You may have a diagnosis that you've been living with for quite a while. In fact, I sense that somebody's got like stomach issues, and I believe that God wants to heal those things. Whatever it is that you've been wrestling with, I believe that God wants to enter in and bring healing tonight. Esther, who's to your left? Gabby. Gabby. 
Gabby, I just feel like earlier in the service, God highlighted you to me. I just feel like he wants you to know that you are royalty and that he has had his hand on your life and you've been through some ups and downs through some really tough situations, but his hand has been with you. And I believe actually that the story of Esther is is a story that could mean a lot in your life, that even the things that the enemy meant to, to harm you, that he actually wants to work in your life to bring uh, freedom, not just to you, but to other people. And I believe this, that you are going to look back on your life and say, I made the devil pay dearly for what he did to me. What's your name in the USA shirt? Sarah? I just believe that God wants you to know it's really simple, that he is madly in love with you, that he sees you and that you matter to him. I believe this, as our ministry team comes forward, you guys can come on forward, that God wants to heal some bodies, but that there is also... A, a grace for the prophetic. And what that means is this, that God wants to give you words that mark your life. And so our, our team is, is well prepared just to share whatever God shares with them. But I, I believe that if you're in a place where you need to hear from God or, or where you just need direction for your life, I, I believe God wants to meet you in that place tonight. So God, we just thank you that you're here. We love you, Jesus. And Lord, we invite you during this ministry time just to come and have your way. In Jesus' name.